Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. Now, once upon a time, Allison and I both discovered that we had listened to a strange cassette tape as children called Bach Comes to Call. Mr. Bach Comes Thank to you, Call. Mr. Bach. Do not forget the honorific. It really should be Herr Bach. Herr Bach Comes to Call. Uh, so recently we found this tape again but on spotify as we are now adults and we wanted to now give our take on the content of how it was musically educational to adults maybe to children as well just kind of our thoughts on it maybe a bit of a roast (laughs) maybe a little bit of a roast so allison what is something that you remember about that tape as a child you actually listen to it as the intended audience I think the most notable thing I remember about it is the little girl not wanting to practice. That, I think, as a, well, once not a little girl, but as a once young piano <laughs> student myself, I uh, I can certainly empathize with that. I personally remember at that point in my life, uh, and this might come up later as we talk about not wanting to practice piano, um, I've talked about it before, but I was taking piano lessons and that I really wish that I had paid more attention to in hindsight. Um, and I also really didn't want to practice or really think about music because model rockets existed. And I, as a young boy, wanted to play with things that exploded more than things that made music. Now, I will say... As a young child, I also played with model rockets, but I also practiced the piano. So <laughs> where are, are you much, now, Asa? <laughs> you were a much better child than I was, and I'm sure that my parents would have liked to have a girl in the family anyways. <laughs> well, if I don't, only. I can't say much to that, but <laughs> I'm sure they're happy they have you now. <laughs> I hope so. So first, before we get into it, let's give a brief history of the production itself. So Mr. Bach Comes to Call is part of a series produced by an organization called Classical Kids Music Education. It's actually still around today. And Mr. Bach Comes to Call was the first production of this Classical Kids group. It was originally made by Susan Hammond, who is a Toronto-based pianist and mother, who discovered that her children really loved to learn things with music playing in the background. So she kind of wrote up this little story about Mr. Bach to give them kind of an education on Bach. Herr Bach. And it was released in the year 1995, which was the year I was born, and therefore prime time for both of us to be listening to it. So shall we get into it? Yes. So we'll be going into kind of a little bit of a... A review of it. We'll go through it. It's divided into tracks, actually, which are really nice with a specific Bach piece behind each track while they're talking about the history. So we'll kind of have it divided up that way. And we'll just give our thoughts and opinions on the things they say. (laughs) (laughs) 
And remember, this is on Spotify. You can find it on, I mm-hmm. think, the full versions on YouTube as well, Amazon Music. All the places where you can hear podcasts, you can probably hear this as well. So yes. if you want to listen to it, if you have no experience with this thing we're talking about, you know, go ahead. Yeah. And as an aside, this is the first episode in years where I can look over to the desk next to me and actually see my co-host in the flesh. Da, 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 da. So if this podcast sounds a little different than what you're used to in terms of spontaneity. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening. That's what that's what's happening. We're having a grand old time and we're going to discuss this grand old educational masterpiece. So let's begin. All right. So the very first track opens with actually a dramatic NASA launch sequence. And this is actually kind of a good segue into it because the narrator discusses things that were carried aboard the Voyager 1 capsule, which is currently the spacecraft that is furthest away from Earth. Great things, mementos, including three pieces from Johann Sebastian Bach. But down on Earth itself... A little girl practices the piano. So we hear this little girl playing. She's trying to learn something on the piano. She's not playing it very well, but she loudly proclaims to her mother, there, I've done it. I played it twice. And her mom says, that's not practicing. You have to continue. And the little girl, and this is the part that I so very strongly remember. She says, but everybody else is outside and having fun. And she sounds so whiny. Which is probably very much akin to my response when I wanted to practice (laughs) as well. (laughs) Or when I didn't want to practice, that is. So she sits back down at the piano and tries to play again. And then you hear this German-sounding voice come in. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, just relax the shoulders. This this very English, (laughs) this very American person, German accent-sounding voice. Yeah, (laughs) definitely not a real German person. Not a real German voice. (laughs) Um, And the little girl, like, stops. She's not like, oh, my gosh, who is this? She's just like, who are you? He, she thinks he's a burglar, and he doesn't really deny it, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it actually, at this point, comes up that he was in jail, uh-huh. which, listener, if you go back and listen to one of our episodes, we do have one about the time Bach went to jail. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, doing all of our Bach episodes before this has given me some great new perspective yeah. on Bach. and. <laughs> You should go back and listen to some of those if you would like some perspective as well. But even though Elizabeth thinks that he might be a burglar, she encourages him, Elizabeth is a little girl, to actually steal the piano uh, because he likes the piano. And that would also get her out of practicing. Mm -hmm. She wants to just give it to him. Just take it. It's yours. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason that he likes the piano so much is because he explains he didn't have pianos back in his time. He only had the harpsichord. He also says there's a few other things that they didn't have. Just like they didn't have noodle soup in a can. Right. But dolls that say, hi, I'm Debbie and I'm your friend. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just the way he says that. Hi, I'm Debbie and I'm your friend. (laughs) He has such a terrible accent about it. (laughs) And finally, he actually introduces himself as Bach himself. But 
That's the person who wrote her music book, she says. This is getting weird. And also, what gets even weirder is suddenly young boys start to arrive, and they're asking for chairs and stands. Apparently, they're from the choir, and they're coming to set up for something. Indeed, it's... Like, in her house. What are they setting up for? Elizabeth is taking this all extremely well. There's... A full choir and an orchestra, and they're setting up, and there's a weird German man in her house talking about stealing her piano, and she is taking this all in stride, and she is she is quite the, the example of a strong, strong young lady. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Bach starts actually talking about himself. Um, he starts talking about how he was joyful when he was writing music for the Duke. And now we move into our next track, uh, which is background tracked with Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring, as well as the Chromatic Fantasy. Now, Elizabeth actually loves this music. Um, but then someone knocks on the door. It's more choir boys. <laughs> And they come in. Nice place. You got any chips? (laughs) Who are these boys? It's interesting. I find it funny because if they were like period choir boys from box period, would they have been talking about chips? I don't think they would. And there's later mention of like they go out and get Coke and pretzels and things. It's just it's so weird. This is this is a wonderful thing. There's so many little anachronisms that I find so endearing (laughs) in this. But even even if these are like modern day choir boys that are always possessed by the spirit of Mr. Bach, <laughs> he even knows about chips. He promises them that they're going to get chips later. <laughs> In spite of all of this distraction, Elizabeth, very goal focused, is fixated on why the Duke actually sent Bach to jail. And this actually comes to a surprise as the choir boys as well. They didn't know that they were being taught by a criminal. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dear. Uh, Now, if you've listened to our past episodes, you probably know why Bach was sent to jail. Uh, It was because the Duke was fighting with his nephew, and so Bach threatened to quit. To which the Duke said, no, you may not quit. So he threw him in jail. And Elizabeth, she feels so bad for Bach. She's like, but weren't you lonely? And of course he was lonely. He missed his wife and children. So he wrote all sorts of music for them while he was in jail. And... To go on from there, we go on to our next track where we introduce the orchestra because Elizabeth apparently doesn't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Elizabeth is a stand in for the young person listening to this delightful track. So that's true. And actually how she says she's like, but you didn't write the music for the piano and the choir boys chime in. They say, no, it was for singers. And it's like, that boy is the future theater kid. Yes. <laughs> um, so now he takes turns introducing the different instruments of the orchestra. The winds, the strings, all of those. Uh, and they play little toodles on each of them. To kind of give you a sound of, in exactly. case you don't know what an oboe sounds like, here you go. Exactly. So in that respect, it is very much a young person's guide to the orchestra-esque and you know good yeah no i do think it's it's done very well i think there there are obviously some parallels to be drawn with a young person's guide to the orchestra but that's it does it's not explicit right and i think this is excellent because as we learn more about bach and as we introduce the instruments 
Um, you're then, as a young listener, able to pick out the individual sounds of the orchestral instruments as we slowly, over the course of Mr. Bach coming to call, build up your knowledge of the orchestra. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, also notably, one boy mentions the organ in which Bach proclaims that this was his very favorite. And interestingly, he kind of goes into a little bit about the organ itself, some kind of you know technical aspects of it, how it has all the different keyboards and can make different sounds depending on the stops that are pulled, which is a little bit complex. And I'm sure as a child, I had no idea what was going on there. Yeah, I think that's a little bit over, over your head mm-hmm. as a kid. I know it, it almost certainly was for me. Uh, my only experience with an organ at that point um, would have been one of our family friends had like an old electric organ in their basement oh, where you could fun. press down all these like tabs and, you know, make a bunch of different sounds. So that is what I had in my head this whole time. I would not have made the connection between organ, that little electric mm-hmm. organ and, you know, the the grand pipe organs that Bach would have. Even though he says it was like playing a skyscraper. Another fun little anachronism. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, so after we learn about the orchestra, we go into our next track, which has the Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 5, Movement 3. And Elizabeth says, wow, well, imagine putting a man like you in jail. But Bach says, well, after a month, they let me go because the prince offered me a job and a prince is more important than a duke. Ah, yes, indeed. And because he was offered a job by the prince, the children play games and live in the castle. Yeah, box box children play games and lived in the castle. They just walk among the castle halls and gardens having a grand old time. Mm -hmm. Box children. Yes. In the royal castle. Now, Elizabeth actually knows the Brandenburg Concerto being played, which prompts Bach to talk about how he was the highest paid person in the court. Yeah, he kind of gets a little bit full of himself. He says, I was the best. I was the best. (laughs) And then he apologizes for his outburst. He says, apparently, he well, apparently, he was always telling his kids to never show off. Better to be, oh oh my gosh, I can't do it in the (laughs) accent. (laughs) Better to be modest. Just know you're the best rather than blather to the world. So then we move on to our next track, which is the Flute Sonata in C-sharp. Something for organ, some orchestral suite in a sonata. There's a few different things all kind mm-hmm. of conglommed together. We don't really like focus on any one piece of the music. It's just in the background. Right. But the point of this one is that the prince was a musician, too. And Bach says that they used to practice together. Um, by that, he means the prince would play some music and Bach was there. <laughs> Drinking beers, apparently. Yeah. It sounds more like a jam session than a practice (laughs) session. Right. I don't know why they were so... They said a few different times that Bach drank beer and preferred beer. And like I don't know why they were hammering so hard into that in a children's media. (laughs) Yeah, If I had to think about it, maybe it was an attempt to make Bach more relatable to most 90s kids' fathers. Maybe. Or like add some cultural german flair i don't know how many children are aware that like beer is a german that's true staple thing i don't know yeah perhaps maybe but in any in any case as late 20s adults now that sounds like a that sounds like a grand old time (laughs) sitting back at the organ throwing back a couple brewskis 
playing tunes with the prince. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, and Bach, he goes on, you know, with saying all this, how he was on such good terms with the prince. He says that he used to get into a lot of trouble before he was with the prince, and people were just so strict back then. And he goes from talking about how he would get into trouble to then how he would have to scold his choirs all the time and how his choir boys were so bad, always throwing spitballs at each other and running around. Not as I do. Exactly. Um, So he doesn't really explain how he got in trouble right now. But again, Elizabeth, she's actually a little bit more keen than maybe other parts of it let on where she actually does probe into it. Like what kind of trouble did you get in Mr. Bach? Please tell me (laughs) what you did here. Um, So he says, well, he had to kind of beg to be allowed to study with Buxtehude and he was in trouble getting to study with Buxtehude by, because he was late by about four months because he made so many stops along the way. And just kind of a side note here about Buxtehude. (laughs) Buxtehude. Like, Listener, do you know who Bucks the Hoot is? Because, I mean, I do. Asa, yes. do you? Um, I had to look that up after listening to this again. Okay, yeah. So he's kind of like a Bach contemporary. He did a lot of very fancy counterpoint organ sort of hmm. stuff. Get subscribed. Perhaps you'll hear a Bucks the Hoot episode at perhaps, some point. Perhaps we should yeah, do that. Perhaps That's... we should. Yes. We Bucks the should. <laughs> <laughs> yes, get the name out there. But the point is, like, that's kind of a grab. Children have no concept of Buxtehude. I did not know of Buxtehude mm-hmm. until we were in college theory class. Like, Right. Kids do not need to know about Buxtehude. Exactly. Unless you were training your kid to be a child music prodigy. Which maybe that's what their goal was here. But we'll get more to this name dropping when we get to the end of this and why I take so much offense that they name drop Buxtehude. And because they failed to name drop someone very important. Which we will name drop later. We will name drop later. <laughs> so for the end of this stay episode. Stay tuned. <laughs> Listen to the end. Yeah. But moving on with Bach's story here. Moving on with the story of Mr. Bach and his famous call. The rest of the choir is now showing up to Elizabeth's house. Um, Elizabeth's asked. There's just so many boys here right now. So many choir boys. Elizabeth's asked, Mr. Bach, why are you here? Finally asking the question. Yeah. And Bach replies to himself that this girl needs a little boost. But first we get a little bit more background. Sorry, a little bit more Bach round. (laughs) As Elizabeth asks more about Prince Leopold. So since they were friends, apparently the prince would take Bach with him to the spa at Carlsbad. And a little aside that Bach says he didn't understand the appeal of the spa. And this is another time where he says that he'd much rather be drinking beer than sitting around in the spa. You can. I'm going to point this out. You can do both. (laughs) You can drink beer while you're in a spa. I don't know if they allowed that back then. But anyway. Um, But then Bach gets really sad. And... Elizabeth's like, what's wrong? He says, oh, sometimes you just remember sad things. And this is an allusion to back the last time he was actually in the Carlsbad spas when his wife was dying back at the castle and there was no way to get Bach the news. And after this is Maria Barbara, after his first wife. So after she dies, Bach says that he tried to make it up to his children by spending a lot of time with them. And so he would play with them and they say, play games like baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Monopoly. Monopoly. (laughs) Tag. Again, who are these choir boys? Why do they know Monopoly? (laughs) I know. 
And uh, Elizabeth says, didn't you have fun with them? Again, being really snotty. <laughs> <laughs> to which Bach replies, music was a game. Apparently to Bach, music was a game of a little practice book that got progressively harder. That sounds fun. It was always fun, according always to Bach. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> so now we move into our next selection of pieces. And our next track being the Prelude and C and the Orchestral Suite number two. And we get to talk about a little bit more complex music where Elizabeth learns about chords. So Bach starts by playing some chords on the piano. And he says, do you like chords? And she goes, chords? Like skipping ropes? No. Come on, Elizabeth. Keep up. <laughs> <laughs> Musical chords. And learning about arpeggios. So he plays the chords, then makes them arpeggios. Like the game that he like to teach his kids. Yeah. And after he kind of shows her how the chords can do all this, and it's very, very nice, she gets frustrated and like kind of starts yelling, like, why can't I play like you? And Bach gets kind of frustrated back at her. Like, he can take it. He's not going to let this little girl yeah. show him up. And he says, well, how many fingers do you have on each hand? She says, five. And he says, and how many do I have? She says, ten. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, the same number that you do. He's not having any of her games here. <laughs> and so he is so sure that she is going to be able to play. She just has to practice. And... Elizabeth asks now, what did you write for your girls? Um, now here, Bach goes into a speech about how girls were different then. Mm -hmm. It's just the it's just the way it was. And this is he this lists is... off some things. They didn't have the vote. They didn't wear pants. <laughs> they were different. <laughs> but his boys apparently were terrific. Yeah, and you know, it, it kind of I get what they're doing here. Right, it, this is not the context or the medium to explain gender roles and why the girls were not viewed as mm -hmm. highly, I guess, as the boys. Like, this is not the context for it, but at the same time, why even bother bringing it up? Right. I, I do I do find that interesting because I think you're absolutely right. This isn't the time to talk, to tell a kid to share with a child about how women should be more empowered mm -hmm. and how crappy it was especially back at that time if anything this kind of just enforces like yep it was terrible back then great great like and it doesn't was, show and that was the way it was yeah and, and it doesn't show any of the complex progress and issues and everything right. like that so but again those attitudes have also changed since 1995 when this was recorded and released exactly so looking at it in the context you know that that train of thought probably didn't even come up mm -hmm. this but was this... probably the best they could do and honestly they didn't do the worst job about right. it right and in fact in the very next section we talk about a very special woman to Bach himself mm -hmm. so uh we hear kind of a woman singing in the background the background track here is this to be mir which is actually a piece from the notebook for anna magdalena that we had talked about in our previous episode which then brings in Elizabeth asking Bach, who is she? And, of course, we are talking about Anna Magdalena. Yes, indeed. She was a singer, which scandalous for the time, right? <laughs> Considering that women were different back then, yeah. right? Bach? How was she allowed to go and be this singer? She was supposed to be a housewife. Yeah, but she apparently was 
fantastic. As we learned in our last episode, she did all the copying for Johann Sebastian. And he says, Viva also happy Zen. (laughs) (laughs) But they couldn't stay with the prince. They couldn't be happy any longer. And Elizabeth asks, why not? And it was simply because Bach didn't like the prince's new wife. Because she apparently didn't like music. Which I think is a bit reductionist as the complex reasons why Bach actually left. There were several reasons why he left Prince Leopold. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably one of them, including he didn't like the new wife. (laughs) Right. But again, enough to condense that down into a palatable little morsel for a child. So Mm -hmm. Bach left. And because he still loved writing music for the church and for for the glory of God, um, he wrote many of the pieces that we'll hear in the call. Yes. It's interesting here because he does harp on for a little bit about how every single piece he wrote was for the glory of God. Which I think was very much how he felt at that time. I guess it's it's very in character for Bach. In, I guess I think we're in... We're putting that character onto him. I'm not sure. Like, we can't say for sure that's exactly how he felt. Um, We'll get into a bit more about Bach's characterization at the end of this. We'll kind of sum up some thoughts. But again, food for thought for later in this episode, listener. So our next piece, our next track is the orchestral suite number two, Badineri. Here Bach talks about how much he loves concerts and how his children helped out immensely. To set up, and of course, they all needed to be properly dressed. So they had to wear their proper shoes, and their choir gowns, and their wigs. And apparently, Anna Magdalena was always running around scolding them and forcing them to put all these things on. I feel <laughs> like maybe they just would have done it on their own, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Maybe that's just me thinking. Oh, they were all so good and well behaved back then. Maybe that's my own bias here. Maybe. Yeah. So maybe. Maybe this is teaching me something. (laughs) But anyway, they go on about wigs for longer than needed. They say how itchy they were and how they had to like powder them. The powder would get everywhere. And it was just like about a minute worth of talking about wigs. Yes. Now, of these children, speaking of children, the choir boys, these weird choir boys are starving. They just kind of come in and out, don't they? Yeah, they like, we haven't they don't really do had much a... for the story. Right. They're just kind of there. Uh, and now they're demanding Coke, pizza, fries, and ice cream. Bach sends them out to the store and asks for apple pie and whipped cream. For himself. For himself. That, I would have really enjoyed that as well. <laughs> um, and Bach himself then mentions that he had 20 kids. Failing to mention how many of them Died. died. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, it wasn't all rosy and peachy no, with the 20 not. kids running around the palace. Yes. Now, when Bach himself was a child, of course, he went to a special school for boys with good voices that were also poor. And Bach himself was very poor. And even after his voice broke, they let him stay because he could play violin. And so he uses that as an example for the choir boys who are present, saying, you won't be singing forever. And some of them say, oh, good. I'd rather be playing hockey. (laughs) (laughs) So these are then obviously like modern choir boys. But like, what are they doing around traipsing with the spirit of Bach? They obviously know him and they've been rehearsing under him. Yeah, which is very strange. (laughs) Maybe he just... He just... 
time travels all over the place. <laughs> Maybe they time travel all over the he place. He was just jealous that Bill and Ted didn't choose him and chose Beef Oven instead <laughs> for their excellent adventure. <laughs> and so he's just traveling around. Um, anyway, getting back to the actual story here, um, our next track has the orchestral suite number three in the air on the G string. And Bach talks about how when he was a boy, his father, before he died, had taught him violin. Uh, however, he died when Bach was 10. And so Bach's brother, Christoph, actually took care of him. And they make it sound really touching and loving, like his brother brought him up into his lap and dried his eyes and promised he'd teach him <laughs> everything about music. But of course, Christoph, Bach, used to lock up the music in the closet because he thought Bach wasn't ready for it right it was too hard but of course he was so so at night little johann sebastian bach would sneak down pulled out the music he could grab and copy it down but when his brother found out he was furious took it all away but otherwise he was really nice <laughs> all the Bachs, of course were nice and all musicians such famous the word bach came to mean musician as our good friend mr bach says which I I need to see a source on that. I have never once heard someone say, oh, yeah, you know that Bach over there referring to any <laughs> random musician? Any musician. Like, even during the time period, I don't think that was true. Yes. Now, listener, feel free to, like, email us if we're completely <laughs> wrong and if you have evidence, but... Coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. But I don't think this is right. Yes. So our next part, uh, our next track is backed by the orchestral suite number three, the Zhig. So the boys' food is here, and they are hyped. And Bach uses this opportunity to talk to Elizabeth about how they used to have music picnics, and it continued with his own children, enormous music picnics in the countryside. And he claims that Anna Magdalena cooked for days. And he said, it was too much food. This event is for music. What he doesn't realize is food makes everything better. It absolutely does. I would never have been in bands in college if we didn't go out for food afterwards, after concerts. <laughs> I'm going to say that's false, but it definitely is a good draw. <laughs> it's a little fun reward. It is. <laughs> and what a lot of noise they must have made outside. Uh, Anna, apparently, though, loved it being outdoors away from the housework. Bach says now that he regrets not spending as much time with her saying we've only got one life and one pair of hands with ten fingers. Mm -hmm. But what if we had four? <gasps> four hands? Four hands. What if the music he could write? Didn't Bach write some, like, four-hand pieces for duos or something like that? Well, yeah. Yeah. But A little illusion. But if everybody had That's four true. hands, that could be eight hands as a duo. So many keys on the piano. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, then we have a little what's titled Adventure in Music, which I think is kind of the dumbest part. I think it is. It is both a really dumb part, but also one probably the best way to explain just what the Sam Hill of Fugue is. But they do a really bad job about about it as well. Like what they do here is not a fugue let's get into it and the listener can make a judgment call yes but it's not a fugue it simply is not so they ask elizabeth what is her favorite nursery rhyme they kind of have a little oompa beat on the piano going in the background while she thinks about it and she settles on 
pop goes the weasel. So Buck then tries to make a fugue from this. First, of course, there's the regular tune. Then Bach makes a choir boy play it in inversion. Meaning that all of the octaves, instead of being like a fourth up, are a fourth down. So it, it it's upside down, basically. Right. Another boy then plays in Dolce Jubilo. Which is a completely different piece. It's not Pop Goes the Weasel anymore. Right. And this is, I think, where you have the best point, where it's not really a great way to explain a fugue. Because a fugue is not a layer of different pieces although there is a counter melody sometimes it's right. built on the original melody which i suppose you could argue what if your melody and your counter melody happen to be two already written songs that just happen right. to work which i mean i guess they kind of do here but like it's still not exactly what a fugue is right so next another boy plays quote magic yes bach asks him to play magic <laughs> I think it's one of Box G's. Yeah, I think it is as well. I don't remember which one it is. Um, but then they just play everything together. Like the original, the inversion, Indosa Jubilee, and then the jig. Just mm -hmm. piled on top of each other and call it a fugue. And that's not what it is. Like if you've listened to any of our ramblings about fugues, <laughs> you'll know there's like the episodes of the melody actually coming back in regular or in its original form and there has to be like the when it comes back in its original key and right. this is just not it now again i will say i think that all of what you just said would go completely over the head of a five to nine year old person i honestly think this still went over my head as a small child because probably but like, I they think... didn't even try to explain a definition of fugue like Without context clues, what is a fugue? But I think the idea is to get a young person to think of, oh, I'm hearing a classical music piece where one line comes in and then there's another melody. There's another line that sounds like it, but it's backwards. And then there's a counter, like there's a different piece and they're all to come together in a way that sounds intricate and cool. And I think that's the point okay. that they're trying to get across. I have a counterpoint. This is more hey, like... counterpoint. Hey! Just like a fugue. <laughs> this, it's almost more like March form. Like, if you think of Stars and Stripes, it has, like, the dogfight underneath the regular melody at the end. That's kind of more what this is. <laughs> <laughs> and Bach was definitely not writing marches out there, so... Uh. But what is a march but a fugue that got manifest destinied? <laughs> I guess what is anything but a fugue that got Indeed. someone else's ideas put on it? Indeed. Fugue is the root of all excellent classical music. I thought you were going to say the root of all evil. <laughs> no. Well, yes, it was when I was trying to analyze them in theory. Okay. But anyway, moving on from all this, Elizabeth pipes in. I guess kind of mid-playing that, oh, we danced to this music in ballet class. And she's referring to the jig that they had um, added in here. And Bach says, oh, Elizabeth, would you like to dance now? And she says, me, I don't know. But Bach convinces her to dance. He says, it'd be an honor. So now Bach and Elizabeth are apparently like waltzing around the room, which is not even the type of dancing that they would have done no. back then. Like they don't even explain what kind of dancing they did back then. Ugh. Right. A Again, travesty. I think. 
But this is, of course, an audio, not a visual medium. Yes. So that would have been difficult <laughs> to explain. Um, the music that they have in the background is not even just like a Bach piece. It's a terrible classic 90s conglomeration, like mash cut together. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. So remember how we talked about Fugue in the last section for way too long? Uh, now we're going to talk about <laughs> Goldberg variations and more Fugue. Yes, yes. Again, still not really understanding what the Fugue is. Um, so Bach talks about how they would hold a lot of concerts at home and also how other people wanted him to write music for them to perform at home. So a certain Mr. Goldberg came to Bach to write him music for Goldberg's boss, who Man. was a count. Goldberg, this, what a rube. Well, I'm just saying this is all like really vague. They don't explain who Goldberg is. They mm -hmm. don't explain who his boss is. And they really don't explain the purpose of the Goldberg variations. They just say the count couldn't sleep and he needed music for when he was awake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little bit of an interesting way to put it. Usually if you can't sleep and you listen to music, it's to go to sleep. Music puts you to sleep, but this music does not put you to sleep. Um, it's to enjoy all those hours that you're awake. And for this, Elizabeth proclaims Bach to be a genius, which he does not deny. Mm -hmm. He then um, asks Elizabeth to name some notes that he plays on the keyboard, which are B, A, C, B flat. He explains in German is H, mm -hmm. which is, of course, Bach. And he started writing his famous Bach fugue but he didn't get to finish it and do you know why he died <laughs> the end <laughs> the end <laughs> but it's not the end <laughs> there's more um so then we have oh how do you pronounce this the liebster yesu the liebster jesu <laughs> something like that lovely jesus all right with also flute sonata yes um so Again, Elizabeth proclaims that he is the greatest of all. And Bach says, well, unfortunately, not everyone thought that. They said that my St. Matthew Passion was a waste of time. They didn't like it. It apparently wasn't performed for a hundred years after his death. But he then says he didn't write it for them. He wrote it for God. And now he says for 50 years after his death, it was forgotten. When he just said a hundred years. <laughs> well, I think it was his general music. Was That's forgotten. true. I think it did take them a long time to find and then perform the St. Matthew Passion. So I think that the dates there are generally correct. Yes. Um, and he then says that Mozart liked it, but he was a genius. So Mozart's a genius. Mozart's Bach's a, genius. a genius. However, we're missing one critical genius. Mendelssohn. Yes. If you remember, <laughs> if you were Mendelssohn, if you remember our previous <laughs> episodes on both Felix Mendelssohn and Johann Sebastian Bach, you'll remember that Mendelssohn was instrumental, if you'll pardon the pun, that... We'll have was, to. <laughs> ...was instrumental in bringing Bach back. He, the Bach revival. Exactly. Um, if it wasn't for Mendelssohn's work, it's entirely possible that Mr. Bach would have never come to call. Exactly. But they fail, completely and utterly fail, to mention anything about Mendelssohn or that it was even a single person that brought back back right. brought, brought back box music. <laughs> Although to give them again the, the benefit of the doubt and perhaps to play a little devil's advocate and think about their audience here. If you're sharing this with your child, 
and you've probably also shared some of Mozart's works with them because of the whole thing, especially in 1995 in the late 90s, early 2000s, about listening to Mozart Mm -hmm. makes kids smarter. Um, So if you're listening to this as a kid, you probably know who Mozart is. And you probably have at least a passing thought about, oh, yeah, Mozart's the one who did the one that I like, you Mm -hmm. know, or this, this and that. Um, and you've probably learned a Mozart piece as a, as a kid practicing the piano. You probably haven't learned about Mendelssohn. Okay. But you also haven't learned about Buxtehude, who we did hear That's about. That's very true. That's very <laughs> true. There was no reason to talk about Buxtehude. <laughs> if we're not going to talk, about... talk about Mendelssohn. Exactly. That's very true. And I was about to say, well, maybe Buxtehude was to pique the kid's interest, Pique their interest in Mendelssohn first. Yeah, because like he has, it's the more romantic music that the exactly. kids are going to be more into. Like already we have the wedding march. We have right. anything from Midsummer Night's Dream. Right, like, that they've probably heard. Exactly. And maybe not tied back to Mendelssohn, but probably heard in their kids shows. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting choice. I think it is the most offensive part of this entire thing <laughs> to me as an adult now that they neglected to mention Mendelssohn. Poor Mendelssohn, always the most forgotten composer, Felix Mendelssohn. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so going back to Bach here, um, he proclaims that he must never let his music be forgotten again. And so he says, Elizabeth, can you guess why I'm here? It's apparently not to give her a boost, as he said earlier. It's all about lying. him. It's all about him. He is there so that Elizabeth can love his music. He wants to make sure it's never again forgotten. So what he does is visit children all over the world. <laughs> like some musical Santa Claus or something. Yeah, like some musical Santa Claus talking to kids who, with the exception apparently of Elizabeth, probably could not give less of a damn about it. <laughs> like, he should talk, he should go meeting music students, young adults. Yeah, Gosh, if Mr. Bach came to call in our practice rooms. Absolutely. That would have been a blast. That would have been amazing. We could show him the organ recital hall. He'd love that. He would love that. Maybe I would understand what a fugue is. (laughs) Yeah. Would have done better in my theory homework. Exactly. So anyway, it just, oh, this is where it's kind of getting derailed because they had to like justify why do we have the spirit of Bach here in modern day? Yeah. So Bach goes to visit children all over the world. So if your kids come crying to you at night, with there is a scary man <laughs> with a, a wig. There was a scary German man in my, in my room last night. And he was wearing a wig that was apparently itchy. And he talked about fugues all the time. And I don't know what those are because he explained them badly. <laughs> Just know it was Mr. Bach making sure it's, he wasn't forgotten. It's not a home invader. It's Mr. Bach. <laughs> So anyway, he says, I've been rambling and now it's almost your dinner time and you didn't practice very much. But yes, look what we've learned. Yay. Um, and again, Elizabeth says, it's impossible for me to play the piano like you. Like she's still going on about this even after he said the key is practicing. He already gave her the answer. He doesn't have to be here anymore. But he says, listen. The key is practicing? Yes. Uh-huh. It's instrumental. <laughs> so he says, well, oh, sure, you might not be me, but that's okay. You're you. You have to be the best you you can be. So now we're just getting inspirational here. Right. <laughs> and we talk about, of course, the more you practice, the more you listen, the more you understand, the more you understand, 
and the more you know, the more you appreciate, and the more you appreciate, the more you love. And of course, if you truly love music, whatever happens between you and music will be for the best. So now it's a rom-com. Exactly. Between <laughs> Elizabeth and music. And now the boys get to go. Like they set up for what? For what? For one song 45 minutes later. Yeah, but they were about to leave without even singing it. Exactly. So anyway, Elizabeth stops everyone before they leave, not to say, hey, perform for me, but to ask a question. She says, Bach, what is your best or your favorite piece? And he says, it's so hard to pick just one because I don't think we have this data. I don't think we know what his (laughs) favorite piece was. That's very true. Um, But because the boys are here and have been making pests of him themselves, he says, and all the music is pretty good. Here's something from one of my cantatas. And we go out with an English version of We Hasten from cantata number 78, and the boys get to sing. Finally. And they sing beautifully. It's a nice rendition. Yes, Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, despite them having pizza in their guts. (laughs) Pizza and chips. Exactly. The the best food for warming up your, your singing chords. They're young. They can do it. It's They're fine. invincible. <laughs> so, Allison, what are some of your overall thoughts on this? We've we've touched on a couple. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as as we've been saying, I think that as the target audience, as children, this is overall pretty understandable. I think the language they use is right. overall a really good level. They don't, you know, say anything that's too big or high level. Like, with context clues, you kind of get the point that they're talking about music, I guess. And it's very obviously targeted towards children. Um, But it does paint a really idyllic life. Like, aside from Bach dying, as we said, they don't mention that his children die. Right. So, like, everything is just pretty idyllic there and not really true to history. But again, I guess, you know, we're targeting very young children. They don't need to have all of the dark grievances of the world they're really trying to ignite an interest Mm -hmm. in children and and desire to practice more and to learn more and to appreciate music not necessarily to fully understand how bad life in the baroque era kind of sucked for most people Mm -hmm. yeah and then as we were saying earlier as well about the character of Bach. So we do have, you know, historical letters that were written to and from Bach that have his voice, essentially. We still don't know exactly what he was like. So I think a lot of what they're putting in here is really just kind of trying to make a character come alive. Right. So it's the character of Bach, not truly who Johann Sebastian Bach was. Almost a caricature, yes, I would say. Yeah. Um, trying to create something, trying to create a character that will, again, pique children's interest and get them to to ignite a passion, not just for Bach, but hopefully for music as a whole. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it actually does a fairly all right job. Uh, again, it's, it's very dumbed down, but if you wanted to, like, if you had a passing interest. It's it's all very bright and happy and for a child, I think it's it's a pretty much exactly what you need. Mhm. 
And I guess if we're any indication, listening to this type of thing as a child will make you into a music history nerd as an adult. We'll make you do 150 episodes of a (laughs) podcast later on down the road. (laughs) So play your kids Bach and they might become podcasters. Yeah. So or, or don't and save them from that life. It's okay. It's not too late. <laughs> oh gosh. So I guess Asa, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think I mean I think I've in response to most of yours kind of summed up summed up mine as well. Again, I think it's it's pretty alright at what it sets out to do. Um with a little couple questionable decisions here and there not mentioning Mendelssohn I think is the only thing that I can conclusively say is probably a an oversight yes probably a significant <laughs> a significant oversight but if the spirit of Mendelssohn is with us just know we didn't forget you we do not forget you <laughs> so I think that's about it yeah yeah thank you for listening to our Bach comes to call episode about it thank you <laughs> This is the kind of thing that happens when we're in the same room together. Yeah, we don't know how to end. We, we know never how know to how end. to end, but now it's even worse. Um, so yeah, we'll see you next time for episode 150. That's a big number. That's a lot of podcasting Yeah, that we've done. Um, so thank you all for staying with us. And if you would like to stay with us with more people, consider sharing us with a like-minded friend or colleague. Or a family member. Or a family member. Those exist, too. Telling other people about the show is fantastic. Word of mouth is the best way to... You know what? To discover. Here's an idea. Yes. Share it with any small child in your life. They'll understand exactly what we're talking about. And they will force their parents to listen to it every other week when it comes out. Start them with all the Bach episodes that go heavily into fugue theory. (laughs) They'll love it. They'll absolutely love it. We promise. (laughs) Here, guaranteed to make your child go to sleep. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Actually, I don't know if that's a guarantee. (laughs) (laughs) Guarantee is not guaranteed. And in any case, for the Coffee House House Musical Podcast... (laughs) I'm going to leave that in there. I'm Asa. This is the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, and I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Orchestral Suite Number 3 in D Major was arranged and performed by Michael Stanoff. You can find the Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.